You're listening to Backstage Pass with Alford Media. Your behind-the-scenes look inside event tech and what it takes to turn visions into reality. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our first 2020 episode of Backstage Pass, brought to you by Alford Media. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. So 2020 is a big year for Alford. Coming out of 2019, the company celebrated 35 years. And with those 35 years, the events industry has seen countless technologies come and go, several technologies persist and evolve, and there's been just an overall shift in expectations from end users and what they expect out of their top-notch events. What has stayed consistent among those 35 years, though, is a through vision of excellence of that burgundy way from the Alford team. And today we're finally getting to two of the core people behind that vision and the company's namesake. I'm incredibly pleased to welcome the Alford brothers, the two heads of the company. We have Tom Alford, executive vice president, and Steve Alford, president of Alford Media, joining us in the studio today for another episode of Backstage Pass. Tom, Steve, welcome to your podcast. How are y'all doing today? Doing great. Doing great. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. How does it feel to finally be on your Alford Media podcast? Well, we've heard some of our employees uh, <laughs> do some uh, wonderful podcasts uh, the past year. And uh, hey, we finally made the list. So yeah. we're glad to be here. Yeah, hey, love it. Always love to talk. So good to be here. Yeah. Hey, you know, so do I. And that's why I am a podcast host, right? So, hey, talking is the name of the game. So before we jump into the meat of the episode, uh, I'd love to get some of your thoughts on the larger events industry as a whole and the direction that it's going um, as your company goes into its next legs as a legacy piece of this community. Um, and, you know, I really want to unpack some of the broader themes of the industry. Y'all have so much experience here. I think this is going to be a good conversation. So let's start here. What do you all think is the state of the events industry today? What are some of the most interesting dynamics between you know, it could be workflow, technology, applications, end users, anything that's kind of guiding the industry forward uh, and what is getting you excited? Well, I'm glad that the events industry is growing. Yeah. Uh, we've had our ups and downs with the economy over 35 years, but the past 10 years, uh, there's been a, a moderate growth in the industry and uh, uh, the technology has continued to evolve. Uh, we're seeing lots more uh, uh, LED applications and, of course, the digital media is growing. So uh, the technology will continue to evolve, but uh, uh, what's continued to be needed is superior support, and that's kind of where we make our place in the business is uh, trying to provide unparalleled support for our customers. Right, right. And I'm just still really happy that there's still a need for large meetings. You know, there's like people thought that uh, movies would go away when TV came and it didn't happen. Uh, right. With the advent of all of us having access to information on our phones, computers constantly, you know, some thought that meetings would go away. I think it's actually quite the opposite. It's proven that they need to get together, you know, more. I do see a little bit, for me, a little too much of an acceptance of okay, and who wants okay? Nobody wants an okay meal. They want a great meal. So right. we don't want an okay show. We want great shows. So Interesting. So do you feel like that sense of okay that's maybe persisted in the industry, do you think that's just a like a, a lack of um, innovation around the technology? You think it's maybe like a lack of motivation around other players in the industry? You know, what what do you think has kept maybe some of that exciting event tech back a little bit then? I think a little bit is just because everybody does have so much technology in their face constantly. Sure. They see uh, 
not necessarily podcasts, but videos, YouTubes that are really not that great quality and it's become accepted. And, you know, we want to do stuff that's top-notch quality, represent right. companies with, you know, perfect color, perfect sound. And when they get there, it's great, but it's knowing that they need it. Everybody has a projector. Everybody has a speaker these days. Used to, that wasn't the case. Right. Yeah, 30 years ago, um, you know, to wow an audience uh, wasn't that difficult because uh, the industry was just kind of uh, in its formative stages to some degree. But, you know, with uh, the computer graphics uh, evolution, uh, the uh, all the big shows you see on TV with, uh, you know, like The Voice and American Idol and mm -hmm. uh, uh, the quality that people get at home or, like Tom says, on their smartphones, uh, it's just become second place. So uh, it takes a lot more in a, in a ballroom when you've got a captive audience to really uh, impress them. And and wow them we love doing that we think we're great at doing it but it takes a budget sometimes and uh, uh, you know companies are still obviously have to uh, uh, watch the the dollar signs always so where and how is the technology itself event tech and audiovisual technology uh, where and how is it most needed uh, and most beneficial within the events industry today and how does it compare to when you started Alford Media 35 years ago well, event techs really changed from an analog world of slides, uh, film. That's how we used to get big things across. Uh, video was pretty archaic. It was uh, projectors were of low resolution and low light output. Today, it's uh, expected to have great. So I think one of the big changes is that we all have so much technology at our fingertip in the ballroom. So we need to involve them you know, with their phone, with their computer, and on screen. Everything is digital. Right. Audio is digital. Lighting is digital. Video is digital. So the access to information is just, you know, astounding. So uh, the big change is finding ways to present that that is different, that grabs people's attention. Right. Using those, uh, you know, the traditional media's audio, video, and lighting um, to transform a venue, uh, whether it's a ballroom or it's a special event center or some unique uh, place, uh, is a challenge for both production companies and for support uh, event technology support companies like ourselves. Uh, it's challenging, but it's a lot of fun. Have you found that the technology is needing to be more immersive due to end user demands or basically having to continue to up the ante each time, right? So the end user continues to feel like they're getting something new? Oh, absolutely. Uh, again, used to, if you could just get it to screen, people were pretty impressed. Right, we worked 20 right. hour days to get there. And today, that's just, it doesn't happen because the technology works. Right. Uh, you know, we expected things not to work. Today, people expect everything uh, to work. Right. And so you almost have to have a video game type mentality to really immerse people in what they're doing, really surround them with great visuals and sound because, you know, they have VR, they have big screens at home. So, right. yes, you really do have to surround them with technology to make an impact. You know, uh, one of my favorite uh, pieces of conversation on this podcast uh, was about some of the subtle lighting techniques that go into immersion and what it's like to, you know, craft the lighting for an event in a way that is almost unnoticeable, but that really ties in the idea of pulling the entire conference room, right? So if we think a keynote speaker with a thousand people in an audience, getting all of them to feel the effects of changing lighting and changing mood and some of those subtle differences, I feel like, um, Due to advances in LED tech, advances in uh, how end users engage with their events, uh, I think it's opened up room for people to be more creative with some of the subtleties of those technologies. Have you all felt that way too? 
Well, absolutely. Um, you know, we um, have surrounded ourselves with some extremely talented uh, uh, event technology folks, uh, engineers. Uh, some of them are certifiable geniuses, to be real honest, but uh, <laughs> they love the events industry and uh, the things that they do, whether it's in lighting or mirroring the look of lighting and video together, where some people can't tell what was lighting, what was video. Um, surround sound audio now is something that we're using, and um, it's, you know, impressive to the audience of, uh, you know, I'm not in a big theater with the uh, you know, THX uh, sound, but it sounds like it in this ballroom. This is right. cool. Um, so um, to have the people that can uh, can do that for you uh, sets us apart, obviously. And uh, our clients uh, know that the people that they have on site uh, are pretty much what's going to make their event successful or not. Yeah, some of the young people may not know what this is, but we I've always said we want to be the long ranger. So when you talk about being subtle, you know, yeah. if you go into an event space, you don't want people to notice you. You want everything to run so smoothly, run so well that when you leave, they never really realize in some ways you were there. So you want to, you know, who was that masked man? If they right. notice yeah. you, it's because you missed a cue. It's because the lights were too bright. It's because something didn't work. If everything worked as it was supposed to, it's easy. It yeah. looks easy. Love it. To your point, do you feel like end users still, you know, don't want the curtain pulled back, right? They they don't want to see the technology, even though sometimes the technology itself can be some of the most exciting parts of the show. You know, sometimes the screen itself or the light show itself is, wow, so cool. Look at that cool tech. Do you think people want more of that? Or do you think the subtleties are where the technology is most needed? Well, I think it really varies. Yeah. We've literally done shows where they wanted the backstage, quote unquote, exposed. Yeah. So that they could see all the text, see the projectors. Interesting. We've had others where they don't want to see it at all. So it's really how they what they want the focus to be. Right. But yeah, we love it when they want to see all the tech. Yeah, right. You know, we've had shows where they have cameras on the text so that they can show what's going on. That's fun, especially for those of us who are always backstage. Right. Yeah, we've also, you know, in tougher economic times, have had our clients tell us, we don't mind spending the money. We want it to sound and look good, but we don't want it to look like we're spending money because times are tight right now. <laughs> sure. And our shareholders out there in the audience don't want it to look like we're, we're glad that that's not the current state of the events industry and that uh, more companies are coming to us. What can we do new? What can we do to impress our audiences? And uh, we've uh, been pretty good over the years at being the first to, to the market with lots of technology. It's, uh, it's as challenging now as it's ever been, but it's still exciting. Yeah, for sure. So looking back at those 35 years as a company, what are some ways that both of you have led the company, Alford Media, to get it to where it's at today? And how have you aimed to set the company apart within the event tech industry? What do you feel like you do differently and better? Well, it may sound cliche, but we started day one to make it the best place for people to work mm. and excel. And that's still what excites me the most. Uh, like Steve said, some of them are certified geniuses. Uh, some certified geniuses don't uh, take care of normal things very well. <laughs> so we try really hard to enable them in a good way uh, with all the information and the tech to do everything needed. I don't think that's ever going to change. Uh, it, it was true 35 years ago. Uh, it's true today. If you don't have the right people there, the best tech in the world is not going to get you anywhere. Sure. So, you know, that's to me really the key leading. We've always got to stay on top of tech. We've always got to have the latest and greatest Our you know, we're not going to make it. Right. Uh, we're in a business that is literally built around the thought process of change. But what doesn't need to change is top-notch service, getting what the client wants, and uh, hopefully getting a message across to the audience that pays the bills for that client. We've um, 
like I say, been first to market with a number of technologies over the years uh, using component video, first back in the uh, late 80s, kind of showing our age, and uh, you know the evolution through the uh, line array of audio and digital uh, technology. Uh, we've, you know, they say you can tell a pioneer by the arrows in their back. Uh, we've bled a little bit, but uh, yeah. uh, we've always, uh, you know, tried to to keep our clients uh, moving forward with new technology because that's what they're asking for and what their clients are asking for. But at the end of the day, today more so than ever, but it's always been true. Any company, anybody can get the equipment. It's the people behind it and the level of support that's there that really separates you and that's kept us in business 35 years and will propel us uh, into the future. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you guys bring up that back end and that network of support internally uh, and how that supports the end vision and the external facing side of the company. What stands out to me as one of my favorite parts of what y'all have done to stand out is uh, your asset management system using RFID technology to better track your gear um, and making sure that it gets to where it needs to go in a timely fashion. You know, that kind of change, I think, is monumental, has that domino effect, right? When you can better manage your assets, then you feel more comfortable shipping your assets, you feel more comfortable uh, you know, doing more shows at a national, maybe even international scope, right? Uh, without feeling like, what are we sending out? What are we missing? Can we handle all of this? Speak to that change a little bit. Some of the backend technologies you've brought in to uh, elevate your operations. Well, as far as RFID, Tom's been the driving force behind that, and we're extremely uh, um, happy and proud with the the development there. Tell us a little bit, Tom, about where you think it's at. Where it's at is not 100% where it needs to be, sure. but it's going uh, really well. Actually, this morning, 6 a.m., that's what I was doing, was looking <laughs> at shows, seeing what we did or didn't miss. Is our miss uh, ratio down? And it is. Uh, you know, super nice. happy to report. We've always been about, you know, sharing information with the people on the show site. You know, that's where it always, um, it rubber hits the road, as they say. And so that's just really the latest evolution. The fact that rather than look at a set of initials from two different people, they can look and literally see that it was scanned on a truck at 1031 in Dallas or, you know, might have been shipped from Orlando. Uh, making sure that the people that need that info have it, RFID is a great tool to use there. I think our biggest success or proof of that was uh, we had a terrible truck accident back in August where a truck flipped and we had four tractor trailers headed to a venue in the past, we wouldn't have known what was on that specific trailer. Right. Uh, we were able to, within 30 minutes, know exactly what was laying all over I-30 uh, and get it things in motion where we were not late to show at all. And that was a huge, uh, you know, proof of how much RFID could uh, help. But uh, just as important as RFID is what we call our digital show kit, and it's kind of the human side of that. Sure. So they can go to there to access RFID. They can go there to report their time. They can go there to see who's. Uh, on the show with them, and like we're talking about being with technology, they can get you know FaceTime, they can get phone numbers, they can get whatever they need with everybody else uh, involved from a single location, uh, real time, all the time, which is really exciting. Those type of things are really exciting to me. We came from a place where you know you ship the tickets FedEx originally, right, and then little curly pieces of fax paper, and now you can go online and find anything. Yeah, and that kind of technology, I think, you know, when it supports the flow internally, also incredibly useful externally as well. And, you know, your content management platform that you use externally as well to interface with clients and interface with um, the installers on the show floor 
it's all just one big churning machine, right? That still has a sense for what got it to that efficiency. And that is an investment in the people, an investment in making sure that the people that are working for Alford feel like they have all the tools at their disposal. Because when they do, they feel more comfortable being creative, going out on that limb and doing that exemplary work. So really cool stuff. All right, last question here before we get into the Q&A, which is exciting. Um, what is the biggest recent change that y'all have seen, whether that's in tech or workflow, legislation even, that you feel is impacting the events industry today and why? Well, obviously, digital technology in every phase is, is continuing to impact things. So that's been uh, – it's not real, real new from when we uh, – for the past few years, but it's new from when we started the company 35 years ago. Sure. Yeah, like the, everything's digital, but uh, the LED technology, it's been around. We bought our first 12 years ago. But in the last two years, it's just been a massive uh, change. Uh, we no longer will go to a show with an LED screen that we don't also have LED lights because of color. Uh, because of trying to get the right the right color from the video and uh, the lighting there, uh, so that's you know that's pretty huge uh, impact. Uh, in the old days, an old guy like me had to teach the new guy about a piece of gear. Today, if they're having a problem, they can access information from the best tech in the country via a podcast or online, you know, real time to work out problems. And that's really well, they've been around a while in our business. That's just really become real prevalent in the last few years, where you can actually go on to solve. And that way, everybody doesn't have to solve the same problem a hundred times. They can look at that problem right there. And then another big recent uh, technology we're really just starting to embrace on the show side is video over IP so that everybody can look at whatever piece of information they want real time yeah. all the time. Uh, certain people don't care about teleprompters. Other people, that's all they want to know. Certain people don't care about cameras, et cetera. Right. So giving them those tools uh, is something I think by this time next year will almost be standard. Exciting stuff for the yeah. industry. And, you know, y'all have been on the ground making it happen for 35 years. So I'm looking forward to see what the next 35 hold in store, right? So we do. Are we. Love it. <laughs> All right. So this episode is really unique. Obviously, we've got the Alford Brothers here in studio. But beyond that, you know, our content on this podcast in general up until now has been driven by the kind of broader singular topic thought leadership that we've been doing just now for the last 15, 20 minutes. Now we're jumping into a new part of Backstage Pass, and that is a Q&A with questions from y'all, and y'all being the listeners, the audience. So this is an exciting change of pace to field some engagement from people who are enjoying our content. So we're going to be doing a Q&A with Steve and Tom. So Steve and Tom, we got some questions from our listeners and our readers. They've been dying to hear answers to these, so looking forward to getting your responses here. But basically, we'll just go one by one, chat a little bit about each one, move on to the next, and then we'll do some final thoughts here. So we have several questions. Let's jump right into the Q&A segment. Steve and Tom, number one, if you could start a new business tomorrow, what would it be and why? That's a, a fun question. Yes. <laughs> uh, after doing the same thing for 39 years... I might go work on my farm full time or Ooh. do uh, uh, pop up dinners. I love to cook and I feed a lot of people. But practically, I would probably put a company together to supply the best tech and people that I've learned for the last 39 years to do. So it, it would be a hard decision. Yeah. I mean, I guess after doing it 40 years, it's like, yeah, you know, it, it's it's a part of you, part of your core. It is. I love it. What's your favorite uh, kind of food to cook? Everything. I'm most known for barbecue because that's how I paid my way through school, there and I go. still do a lot. And me and my son just built a new pit that I can do several hundred pounds of meat at a time. A new pizza oven. We're always building stuff. So 
What I do on the weekends? Maybe uh, an Alford Media food truck around the corner. Oh, you never know. <laughs> Love it. That's actually more in line kind of what I would uh, do if I was starting a business. Uh, uh, Tom and I haven't compared notes on this, but uh, I have a son that's a, a, a chef, fine dining chef. Nice. And... Um, you know, both in cooking and in audiovisual support, you know, you really want to exceed the client's expectations and there's a high level of support. So, you know, in an ideal world, if I was starting a new company, if it wasn't exactly offered media again, which I'm pretty happy with, but it would be maybe a new venue that holds a thousand to 1500 people. That's, um, you know, the latest technology that we can transform that event room more easily and more effectively than you could do a ballroom right now mm -hmm. and have a fine dining experience uh, adjacent to it. Um, and just really wow the people that come there, both for uh, corporate meetings, but also for you know concerts and other special events. Uh, I'd love to manage or be a part of something like that and just uh, have something unique. I mean, there are unique venues now, uh, but uh, I'm thinking something pretty pretty darn special. Yeah. Uh, if I did it, um, we'd do it uh, you know in a spectacular way. That's for sure. There's food in the Alford blood. Love food. <laughs> I love it. You got to meet and you got to eat. You hey, know? there we go. There we go. <laughs> Okay, question number two. When did you feel like you, quote, made it as business owners? Well, speaking for myself, uh, I've never really felt like I made it. I uh, always feel like I'm as good as the last show we did. If it sucks, I feel like I didn't make it. Sure. And if it went great, we did. Um, you know, I'm obviously more confident in, in decisions and businesses. But, um, no, I, I feel like there's always something new to learn every day. And it's all about that next show. Right. So. I pretty much feel the same way. You weren't as good as our last show. But um, as far as, you know, when I really think we made it, uh, a number of years ago, the year was 1997. When I look at our 35-year history, that year stands out to me. Uh, we were named Texas Family Business of the Year. For our third year, we were named one of the fastest-growing companies in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. We opened two branch offices, one in Atlanta and one in Los Angeles. We hired some industry veterans that were exceptional, and most, most of them are still with us today. Uh, did some huge uh, shows and really made a mark for ourselves and had a number of uh, companies contacting us unsolicited, asking would be interested in selling the company. That was a big year for us. Uh, we've had lots of big years since then, uh, but just looking back at our history, uh, at that that year, and looking back, we were doing something right, and it was a lot of fun. That, you know, one of those first like um, industry affirmations, right? That's yes. like, wow, we must be doing something special here. Yes. Yeah, love that. Okay, this is more of a leadership question. How do each of you define success? Of course, there's a simple answer of being profitable, right? Because without profit, as I always explained, to employees, you can't do all the fun things you want to do. Can't buy new tech, can't hire people, can't do things. For me personally, uh, success is being able to work with people and help them be successful. You know, I love when you get that new person in and they're excited to learn something. I had somebody Friday that came and said, you know, hey, TA, I want to do this. Uh, can you help me do it? And I was able to say yes. There's a gentleman wanting to learn LED and stuff. Those are the things that excite me as somebody that is young, well, not have to be young, but happen to be, but wants to learn and, and is willing to take instruction and move on that I feel like I can uh, affect change. That's right. what I feel most successful with. Young at heart. Right? Yeah, yeah right. absolutely. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah, I mean, I like money like the next guy, but I've never personally been motivated that much by money. The first 15 years of our business, Tom and I both basically put uh, all our money that we received back into the company and grew it, and uh, uh, that worked out for us. But it's the people uh, that we're able to associate ourselves with uh, that uh, – you know, we call them burgundy, but uh, 
um, by and large, both our clients and our employees are extremely loyal to us and we're loyal to them. So it's a great relationship. And, you know, when without saying anything, you kind of know that what you were able to provide a, a company has made certain people extremely successful, perhaps has uh, made it where they can uh, ask for a raise or get a promotion because you did a great job for them at their meeting. Because for them, it's their one big week of the or day of the year. For us, it's just another day at the office. Right. But uh, and and certain of the production companies and independent producers that we work for, to know that we're a part of their team to help them grow their business and keep their clients uh, is very satisfying. And I feel real successful when we're able to. Um, you know, take care of our own employees and uh, and take care of our clients in a way that no one else can. Yeah, I think that's an aspect of just the kind of industry y'all are in. And it's something that I feel too, doing podcasts and whatnot. But hearing that feedback, you know, after you do something for months, years, you know, it starts to feel kind of like the grind. This is just, yeah, another day in the office. But when you hear that, wow, you know, what you did for me got our company a new investor, took us to the next level. Or, you know, we heard, uh, you know, from from listeners or we heard from viewers that, you know, the feedback on this was just incredible. That kind of stuff, uh, you know, it it's, it's that affirmation that helps, right? And I think that kind of success when you feel like your work is changing the lives of the people that you're servicing, that's probably when, I don't know, it feels most Good. Absolutely. It's a warm feeling, you know, yeah. Absolutely. And uh, to have advocates that, uh, you know, speak up for you when you're not asking them to is uh, uh, makes you feel pretty successful. And that's sure. kind of what you ask. All right. Next question. This is more of a industry question. What is a trend in AV that didn't or still doesn't make sense to you? I can't think of a particular trend, but for me, one of the things that's always driven me nuts is big and flashy just for the sake of big and flashy. We're, I'm always happy to rent people stuff. Sure. You know, happy to make a profit. <laughs> but when you sit in a show and it was just a lot of wow and you're thinking, what was that about? What did they sell? What was the message? Right. It just drives me crazy. And so like uh, video mapping, which we still do, but people got where, you know, let's go map a building, let's go map a ballroom. But there was no reason behind it. If you do it and, and the people leave understanding you were trying to sell a car or trying to sell insurance or trying to remote podcast or whatever, and you knew that when you left, then it made sense. But so often, I want to do it, and you ask why, because it's the latest thing or right. it's cool. That just drives me nuts. It's like, what is the message that you want to do? And that, that trend has always been there. Uh, I was doing multi-screen video in the 80s, and I was asking a gentleman question. He asked me if I didn't like it, and I said, I'm in a rental business. I like multi-anything. <laughs> I'm just trying to find out why. Why did we do it at this meeting? And here I am however many years later that is, 30 years later, and I still sometimes I'm asking, why? Yeah, you right. Know? What's the point? What's the point? Yeah. So as long as it's the point, I think it's a great trend. Yeah, most of the technology changes, uh, you know, are, are, are good and some trend for a while and then kind of phase out and some come back. Um, you know, back in the, especially the early 90s, you know, the, the big laser shows, the green uh, laser shows were great, you know, from some people's perspective. We were always concerned about it burning holes in our screens, which right. were pretty expensive. So we weren't really excited about it. And, and they kind of, you know, they're still around and that technology has evolved as well. But uh, uh, it's not a trend like it was at one time, which I'm kind of glad about. A non-technology trend that uh, I wish wasn't a trend is, um, you know, and it's kind of human nature, I guess, but the economy dictates it, is uh, our clients wanting, you know, more for less. And um, we want to do that for them, but uh, uh, sometimes uh, someone that's not 
in the industry or knows what a company can provide for them is not the one making the final decision on who's going to be their supplier. They're just a, a bean counter looking at the bottom line, and we're not a bottom line business. There's too much to it. It's not an apples to apples when we're proposing, uh, you know, with some uh, competitors that are worthy of business as well. But it's just hard to get. You know, equal, and so our clients have to kind of know us and hopefully be in a position uh, to stand up for us. Uh, but everybody wants more for less. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the that's the trend always, yeah, right? Absolutely. So, you know, it's tough having to communicate that sometimes. But but I I think your method is is a good one. Uh, focusing on the experience, focusing on what you get out of the investment of working with Alford Media. Even if there might be a competitor where, you know, you can do it for less, are you really getting more? You know, is less more? Not always. So, uh, love that. Okay, this is kind of a continuation of the same question, uh, but what do you think the next trend will be? Look into your crystal ball a little bit. Well, there's lots of things going on, uh, you know, with AR and VR and social media uh, entering the ballroom and things like that. I think, uh, you know, we're real close to 5G uh, being a, a reality to get a higher speed and uh, larger bandwidth in the ballrooms. And I think that's going to uh, provide a trend in two different directions. One, there will be more, you know, polling uh, participation and presentations on your uh, smart device and your hands while the big screens are still out there. Right. Uh, and But there, you're going to be more interactive in the ballroom. And then conversely, I think there will be certain meetings and certain clients that will make you check your smartphone at the door. Uh, some of our clients already do that. Concerts, uh, some do that so that you're not going to those at the expense of not looking and listening to what's going on on the stage. So uh, one way or another, the uh, the internet and the, the speed uh, and the bandwidth that 5G and other technologies will provide us in the future will continue to change the experience inside those ballrooms where those meetings are happening that we're supporting. Yeah, another trend right now is kind of actually what I call going back to the future. We're seeing a trend to use less resolute LED. Interesting. Uh, so that you can get a bigger screen at a lower uh, price. People are realizing that the audience, which are 50, 60 feet away, you know, can't tell the difference. <laughs> right. Uh, are mixing resolutions because if it's in a camera shot, the person's close, right? But you can use, you know, like a 2.6 for an up-close shot, but have a huge screen, which we've done recently, that's maybe five or six millimeter. And that sounds like twice, but it's exponential. So it's, right. And then it takes the expense they're starting to realize, that like LED, is that you have to have a lot of pixels. You have to have 8K and more for some of these driving. So when you drop the resolution, you can use you know, 4K. Sounds like a lot, but uh, we've done shows that had to have nine 4K outputs. Right. You drop that by half, it, it cuts cost everywhere. So going back to uh, not quite as high tech, it actually looks higher tech because you can have more of it. So that's kind of a trend. Hmm. Steve mentioned lasers uh, just a year or so ago. Someone at the office brought, you know, to my attention some lasers they wanted to use, and they were very small weighed maybe 60 or 70 pounds, and they said they were 10 watts. And being an old guy, I said, well, it's impossible. You know, 10-watt laser is the size of a small car, right. and I'll burn a hole in my screen. <laughs> uh, no, the technology changed that much, and, and I had missed it. So people are starting to use it because it is cheaper. You don't have to have a water hose uh, to hook it up. So those kind of trends, which are old but new, we have our retro flip tech. There's a lot of things like that that you're kind of redoing an old look, mm. uh, making things look like film. Yeah, just because it's got a cool factor. Yeah. I mean, yeah, people love vintage, right? Yeah. I mean, it's – I know there's not a camera in here, but it's kind of why we went for the wood grain finish in right. the podcast studio. I mean, you know, people love that that look. It's, it's familiar. Um, and I think, you know, there's something to be said for as technology changes and there's always something new, people don't want to feel like – 
their understanding of what they're seeing is being totally left behind. So sometimes easing or reminding them, oh, yeah, remember this, you know, or sometimes it's not even that overt. But I, I, I think even internally within the industry, sometimes. Yeah, I mean, that, I went and saw a yeah. movie recently that was in black and white. Yeah. Because it was cool. The Lighthouse? Yeah. Yeah. It was a terrible movie. But oh. that's a whole other, whole other thing. But the art in it was, you know, so it was shot in black and white. You're seeing photographs going back, uh, a lot of art going back to black and white. I think it's the same thing. It's not losing that, you know, artistic factor because we do all have a phone that has full color video available. Sure. So that is something different. So I think those are some trends that are not necessarily higher tech, but they're really using high tech to make an old look. Do you think that, like, backwards look is having a ripple effect on the content as well is the content now being shot at slightly lower quality to match the lower quality you know in quotes here of the presentation or is it is that just kind of siloed to just the presentation side of the events in av industry and the content just is exported at a different resolution i think it's really both yeah uh, i've seen stuff shot in 4k that they end dumbed down to look not as good. Sure. Um, the obvious example of that is a picture of somebody like me in a ballroom. Nobody wants to see that in 4K. <laughs> uh, so you soften it up. But it's it's such a dichotomy because, like I said, people see YouTube, which is really pretty low quality when you put it on a huge screen. So you may be taking that up to look a little better and at the same time taking the high-end cameras down to make everything look smoother and not point out the failures that look good on a little screen but not on a you know an 80-foot wide sheet. Yeah. I mean, we've got, you know, Clients shooting, um, you know, candids or videos on site with their iPhones and edit editing them on there, and the technology is such that its quality is quite good. But it's Tom alluded to, you know, we'll also have a client at the last minute that say there's this video, you know, online or on YouTube that you know we want you to play on the big screen, and they'll send it to us, and the quality, you know, our engineers will go, oh my god, yeah, and well, we uh, yeah. like to, you know, do our best to get it looking better than it uh, should, and, and we're pretty good at that. All right, next set of questions, a uh, little more personal here. Hmm. How do you all spend your free time? I do like to play golf. That's all right. my um, um, vice, you might say. Now, I know that's not going to be Tom's answer because the last time he played golf with me, he quit after about five holes because he made a par and he said, I'm never going to play this game again. <laughs> and I'm going to stop while I'm on top. And uh, I think he's been true to that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I like to play golf uh, just to, to get away from uh, the business and things. But, you know, family, music, sports, and uh, church are all important in my personal life. Well, as I said, I have a farm. So that's nice. a, yeah. a lot of my free time. But I'm an outdoorsman, so doing things outdoors, working with kids uh, is where I spend a lot of my free time as well, taking care. But anything, cooking, serving other people, that's what I enjoy doing. Uh, it will not be golfing. <laughs> uh, but it might involve a gun. Uh, might involve a fishing pole. Nice. Might involve a really good scotch. Mm. So be more of my speed. A great combo. <laughs> All right, this kind of piggybacks off of that, but how do you give back to the community? I feel like y'all mentioned a couple things there already, but feel free to dig in a little deeper. Well, like a lot of folks, I feel that of those that has given much, much is expected. And uh, since the company started, uh, we've tried to do what we can to support the many nonprofits that need audio or video or lighting support for their, you know, annual pledge for funds or, or special events. You know, we I love doing it personally. I know Tom does as well. And uh, on any given year, we're supporting 20 or 30 or more nonprofits at one level or another. Over the years, uh, Make-A-Wish Foundation, uh, Grace, and uh, Operation Kindness are just three uh, worthy uh, um, 
groups that we support uh, at their point of need every year. And then uh, in the fall, uh, for the past uh, almost 20 years, we have a chili cook-off and we choose a, a nonprofit or someone that is in need at that time. And it's kind of become an industry event where uh, our vendors, our clients, our friends, our families, neighbors, and even our competitors come together. And uh, at the end of the day, we're able to help uh, some uh, company or group that's uh, in need at that time. So we love giving back. If, if we could stay in business, I'd do it full time, just, you know, just trying to help churches and nonprofit groups. And we do a lot, but uh, there's nothing better than um, being able to help folks in their time of need. That's really kind of the same answer. Like Steve said, we've, uh, the hardest thing is saying no, because there are so many, so much need out there in nonprofits. So even with all we do, you have to say no more than you say yes, just to stay in business. But uh, we've made Megawish uh, kind of our lead group that we've worked with. And I think we're on our 22nd year mm-hmm. uh, here in Dallas working with that group. And so that's pretty huge. And Grace has gone, uh, been a long time as well. We try to uh, support our employees. If, if they have a group that they want to work with uh, and we have the gear available, as long as they're willing to give their time, we're always willing to back them. If they don't want to give their time, not so much. So, you know, you need to be able to give back too. And then it may sound trite, but I think one of the major ways to give back is to be a good friend and a good neighbor. If we'd all do that, the world would be a hell of a lot better place. So uh, I really do. If somebody just on an individual basis needs something, I try to be, uh, you know, available uh, to do that and to help not just family, but friends as well. And so that's those things pretty much take all the extra time I have <laughs> available. And if I have any extra, it's usually spent with children. That's what I like to do. All right. What are y'all looking forward to in the industry, gear-wise, technology-wise? Is there anything that's up and coming that – I know we kind of already talked about the next big trend, but is there any specific gear or technology that is exciting you? I think I talked a little bit about it earlier, but I really like the way that uh, our technicians are marrying you know, the video and lighting uh, in particular together to really transform uh, spaces in a, in, a, in a unique way. Uh, and like I say, uh, we've got clients that, you know, they go to Disney World or or they see something on TV or the Olympics, you know, and they call us and they want to, you know, I want to do that. Well, OK, we can do that. But, you know, there's going to be a cost involved. <laughs> sure. uh, you know, we've been asked to do some crazy things over the years. And and at the end of the day, we end up doing some crazy stuff, but usually not quite as big as it was first envisioned. But um, uh, anything that's, uh, you know, new and unusual, we love to have that as a uh, challenge. And, and we're pretty good at finding solutions for it. So transforming spaces uh, with technology that we have at our fingertips in a way that nobody else had thought of, uh, to me, is uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, picking a single trend, at least for me, is really uh, difficult. Uh, you know, CES, a Consumer Electronics Show, was just over, you know, this past week. And, I was just there. And, yeah, and so you have to kind of – I didn't go this year, but I do, you know, often – and you see so many things that never make it mainstream. Right. So, you know, one of the hardest things is trying to figure out which new tech is, is actually going to make an impact. So uh, we try to send different people, and I try, you know, I personally try to stay uh, in contact. But it's really being, fortunately, we live in a world and a business where you can find anything kind of last minute, which wasn't always the case. So if that tech takes off, you know, we have the ability to adopt very quickly uh, the one I mentioned earlier, I do think video over IP is something we've looked at a long time, but it just wasn't there. Uh, but some changes just in the last couple of years are making it much more. And again, that to me is about sharing information uh, as much as anything, uh, making that easier. I don't know that it'll be the big screen, but it'll allow people to use their little screens to affect uh, the big screen. Uh, so I think that, I think the uh, trend, like I said, with the companies now of actually putting real-time problems online, uh, be able to contact best tech in the United States at midnight or maybe in London to 
to solve something I think is um, something that's been happening and just seems to be increasing. I, I was at industry meetings uh, in Europe last year, and that was a huge amount of the topic was having that information available. I think that trend's going to definitely continue. As technology becomes more ubiquitous, how will Alford Media remain relevant? Well, sounds like the same answer over and over, but it's really <laughs> the people. We, we have to find, uh, and it, it's difficult, by the way. Finding people sounds easy, but it's not. It's very difficult. And we're still in a business that requires a lot of hard work. And I may sound old here, but a lot of uh, folks aren't used to hard work. Uh, you mentioned um, RFID and everything. You know, I tell people when they come in, especially that want to be on the technical side, we're a moving company. We load trucks, we unload trucks, you get to do a little show, we load a truck back, we unload a truck again. <laughs> so, you know, there's a little tech in the middle of a lot of hard physical uh, work. But finding people that can do that and can uh, want to serve people, finding people that want to serve somebody else rather than themselves. Uh, we live in a kind of an insular world where people, I think, are forgetting uh, that to be a servant to someone else is one of the greatest things you can do with your life. Uh, that's kind of how I've led my life. So if I can help teach people that, that keep, helps keep us relevant, right? So people that want to go out and help that client. Um, we, we had a client yesterday, a very old friend of mine, who's actually been in the hospital all night, and our guys stepped right in and, uh, by sharing information, took care of running that show and making sure everything was okay. You know, being willing to do that and not say, well, it's not my job, you know, I'm our problem. He got sick and got put in the hospital. Well, it is our problem because we want the show to go perfect. So I think having people that will do that and, you know, once people do it, they enjoy it. But it, it is funny. It's, a lot of them see it as odd. I mean, not my job is a little too common. So I think if we can make sure it's always our job, we'll stay very on top of things. Yeah, just uh, following up with what Tom said, uh, like I say, we're a, a, a truck company or a loading company, so that's kind of a blue-collar work. But that short period of time where the show's actually going on, we're, we're definitely white-collar folks, and we have to uh, you know, interact with uh, business executives, politicians, sometimes presidents, and movie stars, motivational speakers. And uh, so you know, you've got to be able to perform in that capacity. And then, like I say, when they uh, are leaving the ballroom, then we're back in our, in our blue-collars loading out. So the people, as Tom said, are, are the differentiators for us. I would add one other thing, and that's the, the level of communication that uh, we have and provide both our technicians and our clients, uh, I believe, is uh, ahead of anyone else in the industry that I'm aware of. We made a, a good decision, uh, a number of decisions, but one in particular back in the early 90s to create our own job control software as opposed to, opposed to buy something off the shelf and adapt it to us. It's called the Backbone. And so it's got all the information, as you'd expect, about our show for our salespeople and our operations team to look at. Well, over the years, it's evolved. And just the past year or two, we've added what we now call Offered Access, where we can provide our clients with a look inside of our operations control. So, you know, if you think of, uh, you know, if you're building a custom house, if your contractor, you know, is buying equipment and hiring uh, sub subs to come in, that you could see who they are, what their phone numbers are, what they look like, you know, when things were ordered, if you had a change, you want your wife wanted to change the color of, you know, one room to another, and you can look online any moment and see that those things are happening takes away the stress, uh, becomes more efficient, and at the end of the day, you have a, a better end product. So we've done that with the events industry. So uh, the, our clients that are adapting to that are really liking that. I mean, there's no substitute for calling someone and talking to them, uh, you know, but the, and then sometimes, you know, email is still the way to go. 
but to be able for uh, our clients to look and our technicians and to see the drawings, to see all the communications, everything that they're asking for in black and white is seen by them that it's there and they're not second guessing. Did, I, did Are they going to have it? Did they have it? Uh, has really uh, been uh, instrumental in some uh, uh, growth for us the past year. And that's only going to evolve more as the time goes on. We're real excited about Alfred Access and our clients are too. All right, final question, and this is a personal Tom and Steve question. What is your favorite aspect of working with your brother? And I'll direct this at each of you individually. Well, the first thing that came to my mind was just trust. Got somebody there that I know, you know, has my back. It may be hard to believe, but we don't always agree. But we always know that we have each other's, you know, backs. So we may disagree on a point, but not on the big important things. And if, you know, it's great when you have somebody you can disagree with, and yet, you still know they have your best interest at heart. So that's, that's a best friend uh, aspect. And uh, that's what having, I work with multiple family members. Uh, and, you know, it's one of the things that offered where we say everybody's a family. And I think that's really the, the thing is uh, trust. But for me, Steve has been somebody that we've literally, you know, had our homes and our livelihood in each other's hands for a lot of years now. And that, that makes it easier to sleep at night when you know that's there. You're not worried about it. Well, I appreciate that, Tom, and I, I totally agree with you, obviously. Our, our family is very close, and that extends beyond our flesh and blood, uh, and Tom's a great brother. Uh, but I would take it you know, a step further and say that uh, he's a great uh, business partner. And any business, whether they're in this industry or some other business, would be extremely fortunate to have Tom in a leadership position. Uh, he is fearless in the midst of uh, unforeseen challenges, uh, like the uh, truck uh, flipping in the middle of the night that he alluded to a few moments ago, uh, to, to personnel issues, to things that happen you know, unforeseen on show side. He gets it handled one way or another, and he's a leader that uh, uh, we all follow in that way. And it's contagious. Uh, uh, we want to do what's right, and um, it's a lot of fun. And during the day when we're at work, I don't think either one of us thinks of each other as a brother. Uh, because we're just partners working for the same company, trying to do a good job. Uh, our primary skills that we bring to the party are different, so that's great. Uh, and it's uh, worked for 30 years, and uh, I hope it'll work for quite a few more years down the road. Absolutely. Amazing. All right, Tom Alford, Steve Alford. That does it for our Q&A. That does it for the main podcast. Thank you both so much for joining us on Backstage Pass. It's been a pleasure getting to chat with the the two main people behind the core vision for the company and the namesake of the company, obviously. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Backstage Pass. And if you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, you can head to alfordmedia.com. You can also head to alfordmedia.com slash insights. If you want to head right to our blog, you'll find plenty of podcasts and articles and video content on there. You can also find our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And make sure you leave a rating and a comment wherever you're listening to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.